Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And this week we're talking about Vincenzo Bellini's I Capuletti e i Bontecchi, Eric. Loosely, and I mean really loosely based on Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> this debuted at La Fenice in Venice in 1830. And as you said, it's not really the Shakespearean version of Romeo and Juliet, the star-crossed lovers at all, is it? Mm, it, it bears it bears some semblance to the Shakespeare uh, in, in some superficial ways, but uh, basically they've pretty much rewritten most of the story. We, we still have the confusion with the potions at the end, and, and they both die, but that's about it. Oh, they do, they do die in this version. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I spoiled the ending, sorry. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> the butler did it. <laughs> <laughs> One of the differences, really, is that in Shakespeare's version, we have these two families, two households, both alike in dignity, as Shakespeare describes them. Here, in uh, this version, the Capuletti and the Montecchi are sort of rival political factions. Right, two sides of a political uh, war, in a sense, as, as opposed to just two feuding families, like the Hatfields and the McCoys. This is the 13th century. We are in Verona, and uh, we have this ongoing political situation between the Guelphs and the Ghibellines. And I think the uh, Capuletti were Guelphs, and the Montecchi were the Ghibellines, and the Guelphs were supporters of the Pope, and the Ghibellines were supporters of the Holy Roman Emperor. And uh, it's a whole political mess that dominated the Italian city-states for several centuries. But we do have that rivalry. And right at the beginning of this opera, it is on display. Capellio is the leader of the Capulets, the Capuletti. Right, and Juliet's father. And Romeo is the leader of the Montecchi, the Montagues. Where are we at the beginning of Act One? Well, uh, when the opera opens, uh, Romeo has already... Has sort of blotted his copybook. He has, rather. He has, uh, in battle uh, with the Capulets, he has killed Juliet's brother. But inadvertently. Oops. What's the line from Chicago? He ran into my knife. <laughs> he ran into my knife ten times. <laughs> what is also a sort of a change from the, the, the Shakespearean version of this story is that at the beginning of, of Bellini's opera, Romeo and Giulietta have already met and fallen in love. Exactly. It's a secret. The only person that knows besides themselves is Lorenzo. Who, who is, is not a friar in this version. Not a friar. He is uh, Juliet's doctor, and he is one of the uh, servants, in essence, of the uh, Capulets. In addition to which, Julieta is betrothed by her father to Tybalt, Tibaldo, uh, who in the Shakespeare is her cousin, which <laughs> would not work <laughs> for a lot of levels. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. Let Wagner do that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> At the beginning of Act One, Capello and Tibaldo know that an envoy is on his way from the Montagues to offer peace because in as you said in battle Romeo has killed Capello's son and obviously a situation has arisen right and when the envoy arrives it happens to be none other than Romeo in disguise they don't right. know he's Romeo Tibaldo has said that he will avenge the death 
of Capello's son. This is him stepping up to the plate the, for his soon-to-be father-in-law. Yeah, as, a, as a marriage gift, <laughs> as one does. <laughs> Lorenzo, of course, knowing that Giulietta and Romeo have already met and are in love, he tries to quash any talk of, of Tabaldo marrying Giulietta because he knows that she's in love with Romeo. And he says, well, she's not very well at the moment. She's sick with a fever. Romeo, by the way, we should say, Eric, that Romeo is sung by a mezzo-soprano. Right. This is one of the trouser roles that we talk about in opera where we have a mezzo-soprano playing the role of a, of a young man or, or a boy. Sometimes we have sopranos do it too, but more, more often than not, it's a mezzo-soprano. And you think of roles like Octavian and Rosencavalier and... Oscar and a Masked Ball. Uh, I mean, they're they're throughout opera, all and from all different countries. Carabino, Carabino, good good in, yeah, uh, good case in point. The Marriage of Figaro, right? So Romeo was sung by a mezzo and Giulietta by a soprano, right? So Romeo arrives disguised as this envoy from the Montagues, and he says, "Look, there is this situation. Okay, your son Capello has been killed." by Romeo. But you know what would solve this is why don't you let Romeo marry your daughter, Julieta? <laughs> He's so clever. Yeah, very clever. Sneaky. He explains that Romeo is very sorry for the death of Capello's son, and Romeo would be happy to take the place of Capello's son and be a sort of second son to Capello. Capello says... Heck no. <laughs> I've already Not got a, so much. I've already got a second son. His name is Tobaldo, and he's about to marry my daughter. Right. So they reject the idea of peace. Not only do they reject the idea of peace, but they accept the idea of war. Yeah, enthusiastically. Right. <laughs> Scene two in Act One is in Julieta's room, and Lorenzo has arranged for Romeo to come to her room secretly as a secret door so that they can see each other, they can be together. Before he gets there, we should point out, uh, she's thinking about him and longing for him, and she sings probably the most famous number in the score, which is O Quante Volte. You'll hear it a lot in uh, sometimes in vocal competitions, and uh, it's, it's a very, very famous bel canto piece. Romeo tries to persuade Julieta to run away with him, but she doesn't want to do that because she has this... Loyalty to her family. Right. She has this sense of family honor, and Mm -hmm. she does not want to do anything to disgrace the Capulets. Right. Which running away with Romeo would. Yeah, and if she'd done that, we'd have a half an hour opera. We can't have that. (laughs) That's right. She was looking forward to act two. Yeah. And she actually says that rather than running away, she will prefer to stay and die of a broken heart if necessary. Hmm. Well, there we go. <laughs> we'll see how that works out. Scene three, another part of the Capulet's palace. And the Capuletti are all celebrating the forthcoming marriage of Tobaldo and Giulietta. Romeo shows up in disguise. He with his, with his, his, his retinue. retinue. Yeah, to, to stop the wedding. Because... He doesn't want Julieta to get married to Tobaldo. Certainly not. Because he wants to marry her. Absolutely. So they, they actually attack. And in the, in the course of, of, uh, 
you know, of the Malay, Julieta recognizes Romeo, even though he's in disguise, and he once again tries to get her to run away with him uh, unsuccessfully. She won't go. She's still loyal to her family, despite the fact that she wants to be with him. Then Capello and Tebaldo see them. And, of course, they think Romeo is the envoy. Because that's how they saw him before. Romeo reveals his true identity. I'm not really really the envoy. (laughs) Smart move. I am my master. Right. And, of course, that just... Escalates the violence. fracas. Yes, exactly. And that's how we end the act. The two lovers are separated as the the two factions start to uh, fight it out. Rumble. Right. (laughs) That's right. Now we sound like West Side Story. Yes, exactly. Act two. Julieta is awaiting news of of the fight and what has happened. Lorenzo tells her that Romeo is still alive, but that she is about to be sent off with Tebaldo to his castle. But he's got a solution. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, exactly. He sol- says, I love this. Look, why don't you take this sleeping potion that I've just happened to have with me? Right. And it will make it look like you've died. And then he's supposed to he's then, supposed uh, to read Romeo in on this plan. But of course, I mean, why would she want to appear dead? That that's that's the only way to get out of the marriage. Right. So they can run away together without dishonoring her 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 family. And he says, as you say, he will arrange for Romeo to be present when she wakes up. Right. So that he'll be clued in and everything will be okay. Right. So she takes the sleeping potion. As you do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, he is. Her doctor. He is her doctor right. and her confidant and uh, an adult that has always protected her all her life. And, and she, she believes trusts that, him. Right. She believes that he, he has her best interests at heart. Yeah. And, and, you know, he probably does. He's just not terribly great in the execution, as it turns <laughs> out. <laughs> so she takes the potion. Capello arrives to order her to leave with Tabaldo at dawn. He's getting her out of the castle, getting her away so that the marriage can go ahead. Right. As she is supposedly dying, she asks for her father's forgiveness. Capello is sort of not quite sure really what's going on because mm-hmm. she's acting strange. Right. But he suspects that Lorenzo might have something to do with it. And he says... I'm going to have Lorenzo watched. So he's now a marked man. Right. Scene two, Romeo in the grounds of the Capuletti Palace is waiting for Lorenzo, who doesn't show. But guess who does? Ooh, Tibaldo. <laughs> Just who we wanted to see at that moment. So they, they exchange some uh, not entirely pleasant words, uh, and they begin to actually... Rumble. (laughs) That's a technical term. That's a technical term. But they're stopped when a funeral procession comes through, and it's Julieta's funeral procession. Now, Romeo doesn't know anything about Lorenzo's little plot. He doesn't know about the potion. Because Lorenzo hasn't got back to him. Exactly. He thinks she's actually dead, and so does Tibaldo. And what is interesting in this scene is that the rivals – 
Romeo and Tobaldo, they sort of forgive each other. They are united in grief, in their grief for the death of Julieta. Right. And they even ask each other for death. Take me. Take me. No, take me. <laughs> no, you first. Yeah. <laughs> the final scene, in fact, to <clears throat> the final scene of the whole opera is at the Capuletti's tomb, the family mausoleum. Romeo and his retinue enter the tomb to see Julieta. Romeo bids her farewell. And then? <laughs> Does what everybody would do, swallows poison. He is young. Young He's and young, foolish. Young and foolish. I mean, I mean, you know, when you're that age, you know, your your first love, it's it's everything. You know, it's it's everything. And you really do over-dramatize and feel like the world's ending when when, you know, when your first love ends in whatever manner it does. And in this case, it ends and it ends with tragedy. At least so he thinks. And suddenly the timing of the universe just yeah. uh, doesn't quite click here because Romeo takes the poison, <laughs> Julieta wakes up. Right. And realizes, of course, that Romeo didn't know what was going on. No, and he's on his way out. Romeo tells her, well, this is a little bit awkward because <laughs> you're, you're okay, but I've already taken my poison. And he dies. Yeah, and then so does she. <laughs> of, the, of the mysterious opera, <laughs> the mysterious opera, you know, disease or or, or malady that uh, allows uh, just to die like to that, just will themselves to expire. Uh, Isolde, for instance, uh, and Julieta here, she simply dies. I mean, she can't live without him. Right. She does not want to live without him, and so you know, her grief, her broken heart. Which, of course, the irony is that that's what she says in scene two of Act One, that you know, she would prefer to, to die of a broken heart than run away. Well, well, she does. Wish granted, yeah. That's right. <laughs> but what is also interesting, and there is, you know, again, a, a diversion here from the Shakespearean version of this story, is that the, both the Capuletti and the Montecchi, you know, they, they all show up and they see the two dead bodies, and... The blame is placed squarely on Capello, that he is responsible for this tragedy. Well, and arguably, you, <laughs> you could argue that he is uh, in this particular iteration of the story. So, yeah. <laughs> so, how often is E. Capuletti e Montecchi performed? Well, it's considered standard repertory at this point. But you don't tend to see it outside of the, the really large houses. You won't, you won't see it very often in regional houses um, simply because it isn't as well known as other bel canto favorites like Barbara of Seville or even Bellini's Norma, which is much more difficult to cast than this. But it is revived by the major houses, so you're, you're likely to, to see it there. And in Italy, of course, it still is, is a lot more popular than, than it is over here uh, across the pond. Bel Canto, at its finest? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are the three main Bel Canto composers that we know today that have been... Bellini, a... Rossini, and Donizetti. Exactly. Rossini is kind of the show pony of the three. He's the flashiest of the three, I would say. His music tends to be much showier, even though... Uh, the other two will, of course, employ coloratura and all the different decorations that the bel canto tradition gives you in, in your color palette. But Donizetti is probably 
the most uh, perhaps dramatic of the three. Uh, while Bellini is the he's the most perhaps lyrical of the three, although it's probably reductive to kind of characterize him that way because he actually does have big dramatic moments that kind of look forward to Verdi, uh, especially in, in a work like Norma. But uh, you do him a disservice if you just sing it as, you know, pretty melody. There is drama in the melodic uh, structure to be found, uh, and you have to find a way to find that balance between the adherence to bel canto style and the need to kind of bring the drama out of it and kind of pull it out of it in order to keep it from, you know, seeming inert. So here in this opera, where are those big moments? Uh, the big moments typically, you know, with any of the bel canto composers come at the end of the acts. But again, O Quante Volte is a, is a, is a real showstopper for Giulietta. That's in, uh, in Act One, uh-huh. in Juliet's room. Right. Plus there is a lot of music for Romeo and Juliet where you have uh, a standard Bellini duet. You'll find it in every one of Bellini's operas pretty much. And there's a, I mean, we could go into the whole structure of how Bellini does it, which would get way too technical. But suffice it to say that it's, uh, it really tests the metal of the soprano and the mezzo, their ability to not only master bel canto style, but to sing it in tandem with another singer as if they're one singer. That's, that's the goal there. And it's very difficult to master, but boy, when you get uh, a, a really top flight pairing in those roles and they can really embrace Bellini's style, his duet style, it's a spellbinding you know, moment in the theater. Vincenzo Bellini's I Capuletti e I Montecchi. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.